tips for today. And you're going to get Midwest history today. And uh, I'm going to try to apply that to, to life. And I'm going to apply it even more next week. And next week, I'm going to quiz you on some of this stuff. I'll tell you when I'm telling you something that I'm going to quiz you on. But upper Midwest history and practice, something that I think a lot of you know, if you know in North Dakota, there's a group of people immigrated to North Dakota. Black people call them the Germans from Russia or the Russian Germans. Some of you are not here. You know who they are. We've got one family here that that's their heritage. There may be others. I only know one right now. Oh, okay. Well, I'm embarrassed because I was trying to ask around without you know talking about too much ethnicity and maybe embarrassing somebody. But okay, if you're a second one and I've got the history wrong, correct me. I, I'm very much. But my understanding of that history is that there was a group of people who were Russian inher or German in heritage who went to Russia, didn't have a good experience, ended up immigrating to the United States. A lot of them settled in North Dakota, and when they settled into North Dakota. They hung on to their German for a lot longer than most German immigrants do. Is that a fair summary? And something I want us to remember, this is just how humanity works. When people have gone through a traumatic experience, and this is generally you'll see the pattern, anyone who goes through a traumatic experience as a community, they tend to hang on to some things. It's hard to let some things go. Usually you'll see they'll hang on to their language and culture and then it will adapt. The Germans from Russia and North Dakota are an example of that. Now, I know not everybody here has a German heritage. Some of us have a heritage that's a little more Scandinavian. And if you have a Scandinavian heritage, a lot of times the general pattern was you forgot Norwegian and you picked up mostly English except for a couple of words. I've got one word that I heard a lot, oofta. Okay, I had asked Donna, tell me what UFTA means, because I, I, I'm not quite Norwegian enough. However you want to talk. Okay, you know, 
There's a phrase that is said in Minnesota, and only a portion of people in North Dakota say it's stole Vikings. Todd, I'm going to have you explain this. It's the, we're the old guys that we, Todd and I know the details of the Minnesota Vikings in the 70s and 80s, but I can't remember who the players are today. Thank you, Todd. Now, I'm telling stories here, using language. I'm going to now start talking about James, and we're going to talk about Old and New Testament history. And I know that a lot of times when preachers start talking about language, it gets boring and dull. I hope it's not boring and dull, but you want to remember, okay, if we're upper Midwesterners, we still have a few things that we use. There's, and there should be something that jumps out occasionally. Oh, here's the point about the gospel. I'll test you on this next week. It will be on a quiz. I'm going to say true or false, does God love, oh, God loves Vikings fans more than Packers. That'll be a true false question. Yeah, I, in my spirit, I think it's true, it's false theologically, but that'll be a quiz next week. True or false, God loves Vikings fans more than Packers. Okay, Jewish history, we talked about that last couple weeks, makes James make more sense. As the Jewish history is done, there's three languages in the Bible that are used. Those languages are Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Kids, I probably bored you, but I want you to remember this for next week. It'll be on a quiz. Three languages in the Bible, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. Um, most of the Old Testament's in Hebrew. A portion of Daniel and Ezra are in Aramaic. And the New Testament is all in Greek. And if you were in the day of Jesus' time, Jesus was reading a Bible called the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew Bible that was translated to Greek, and then that was the Bible of the day when Jesus existed. So that's a big question. I'll throw it out there. I don't know if any of you will remember it, but it's a big word, Septuagint. It's as big of a deal to the Jews as Ufta would be to the Norwegians. Septuagint. Now, we read James chapter 1, verse 1, and, you know, I keep coming back to this because, one, it's facts, and it's things that we should remember that help us understand the Bible better. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. And if you were to read this in Greek, that word dispersed, the Greeks will use the word diaspora. Now, if you hang out with me, you know I use this word diaspora. 
When I was first, my first pastor job I had, I was an associate pastor. I had a senior pastor named Royce Dickinson. Royce told me something that I've always remembered that was really good counsel. I might put this up on the quiz next week. This was Royce. He said this, always describe people the way they describe themselves. And he was talking about when you're having some conflict with somebody, it can be tempting to call them a name. But he said, if you want to resolve it with grace, describe them the way they describe themselves. And I thought that's really good counsel. I tried to live that one out myself. Well, in the Jewish days, when James is writing, the word that he uses to say disperse, that's the word diaspora. Can you say that? Diaspora? So next week, I'm going to ask you if God loves Packers fans as much as Vikings. I'm going to ask you, what are the three languages? It's going to be Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. I'm going to ask you, what's the Greek word that we use to describe this first that diaspora? That'll be on next week's quiz. I hope you guys remember that. Now, let's look at the text for today. Um, we're going to read James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. And this is real practical. Let me have you guys stand up. James 4, verse 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be like, for you are like a vapor that appears a little while and vanishes. Instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know good, know the good, and yet not do it. Please be seated. Okay. This one is a really simple text to preach. It's a really simple one to explain how to live it out. It's, again, it's a tough one to live. But I think it makes a whole lot of sense even more when you think about the timing. Because after the exile, in the dispersion, and how the Jews are changed, they become a group of middle-class entrepreneurs, business people. That's what's happened is they're living out in dispersion. So when James is writing to them, and he says, this is how you should make plans, and they say, well, the guys are thinking, hmm, I've got a little bit of income here. I've got a little bit of savings. I see something that I can buy. If I buy that, I can go over to this next city, and I can sell it for a profit. I only have to stay there a year. This is how they live. They're entrepreneurs. Now, he's also writing where you've got a growing church movement happening, where the missionaries are going city by city, starting churches. The word of God is moving rapidly. And I'll say this as a guy who's a missionary who's planted churches. Sometimes I get more excited about what I think I'm going to do in God's name than what God is actually doing. You've probably known a few preachers like that. You'll be infamous preacher kind. I think James is telling these people here, don't look at the future and make yourself the hero of the story. Don't make it your plans, the center of it all. Go in there with humility, recognizing we don't know the future. We can try to 
We know we can. We can do the studies. We can look at the forecast. We can figure as much as we can out about the future, but only God does. Our life is like a system. You know, I, I had joked with Raph about doing a fog machine. We don't have one. This is the best I have right now. And even I'm giggling about this. It's the Fleetic home spray. And I apologize because I saw kids starting to play with this. And I'm like, oh my, I really screwed this one up. My apologies again. But one of the things I like about North Dakota is when I don't know what to do, I go for walks. Found some place. Throw my dog. Let's go for a walk. And let me pray and think about this. And I've had to do that the last few months quite often. But when I do that, from about April on, I come home and both the dog and I have ticks all over us. So here's, I'm spraying me, I'm spraying the dog, it comes, it goes, and I may have a little bit less ticks when I come home, but I still come home with this. James says our life is like this. It's like this mist. You see it, and it's gone. Gives you just a little bit of hope. You know, maybe the ticks won't be on me, but they will be. You see it, it's gone. That's what our life is like. Our first rule of planning is to let God be God. Recognize He's sovereign. He guides history. We should, as we're trying to plan, we have to be seeking His will instead of our own. And you know, I'm looking at everybody that's here. We don't. I don't see anybody today who's visiting, and I had in my notes I'm going to be pretty candid about this one. Me, as the teaching pastor, I think God's given me a little bit of responsibility to push us to it for a vision for what's the future. And I really like all of you guys. I continue to be impressed by all of you. I really don't like where we are here. I mean, it's a good temporary spot, but I really don't like it. I'm hoping God will direct us to a place that will be. I'm walking the city. I'm praying about it. I'm talking to people. We're going to even have some conversations this week if you'd like to join. But there can be a temptation to try to look at a piece of property and try to shape the, this property for what we'll say. This is the revised vision. I'm going to encourage us to, as we're looking at property, thinking where may God move not be asking so much questions about us as a church, but asking questions about Bismarck and Manhattan as a community. And if we see something that catches our attention, stop and pray and start praying for God to use that property to bless the community. And to have a greater vision for, one, the sovereignty of God, and two, his love for our community, than how it can kind of fit into what we I think that's where God would have us when he hears this text. Now, as you read this, there can be a temptation. I, I use the word pietism, and maybe it's too big of a word. But it's this basic idea that people have wrestled with for thousands of years. That when you recognize that God is spirit, and we are just like a mist, and we're so humble before him, that sometimes we just start to the only things we do the label spiritual is, oh, we just pray. Oh, we just worship. Maybe we read God's word and we pick up some things that we'll call spiritual disciplines and that's the only thing we do. And if that's the only thing we do, I've heard some old men, old pastors when I was young, and I think I'll say this now, you're really, 
You're so, if you get this right, you're so heavenly that you're not any earthly good. Okay, you guys have probably heard that. I think, I think this is maybe the first time in my life I've said that phrase. You're so heavenly, you're no earthly good. Well, I think James is real practical. And he would say, okay, when you look at that city, yeah, you're going to have to make some plans. Yeah, you're going to have to take what you say. Yes, you're going to have to go buy something and move over here. He's not taking away the practicality of it. He's saying, be practical, recognizing the sovereignty of God and work just this. It's a sin to boast about what we humans will do. And I'm going to say, we shouldn't tr trash talk. I know this is hard. We shouldn't trash talk in business. We shouldn't trash talk in sports, even when we're talking to Packers fans. I know you guys are going to catch me sitting in the ball. And we should trash talk at church. We shouldn't have big plans about ourselves. Last thing that James is talking, he says, it's a sin that there's an opportunity to do good before us and we choose not to do it. We usually think it's a sin when I deliberately go out and do something bad. But it's a sin if I see somebody who has some measure of hurt. I know I have the ability to hop in there and do something good. That's I'm one minute over time. Let's stand up and let me say a prayer for you guys. Again, this is from the Book of Common Prayer. O Lord, we beseech thee, make us to have a perpetual fill, fear, and love of thy holy name. For thou never failest to help and govern those whom thou hast set upon the sure foundation of thy loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever.